Welcome to This Week in Brattleboro History, produced by the Brattleboro Historical Society. Recently, the executive and legislative branches of the United States government came to an agreement that averted a government default on its debt payment. There is a history to this, and we will turn the clock back to the early 1970s when America's debt was growing and dissatisfaction was being expressed. In the early 1970s, Brattleboro's local radio station, WTSA, 1450 AM, broadcast a program coming from Dallas, Texas. It was called Lifeline, and it aired daily at 5.30 each weekday morning. Lifeline was a right-wing advocacy of traditional American values and boomed forth with more than 500 radio stations. It was backed by H. L. Hunt, the oil billionaire. It was broadcasting anti-communist sentiment. Here is one of the programs concerning the national debt and inflation from 53 years ago. Your historical society was there to record it. This national debt that is very close to uncontrollable. On a national debt of $383.4 billion, we must pay in cash every year $20 billion. That is the interest on the money we have borrowed, and that borrowed money makes up the bulk of our national debt. Cheaper currency, inflated prices, excessive government spending, and the ultimate impact on the private sector, which seems to follow the worst examples of government, have produced an inflation beyond our ability to endure. Inflation is the cruelest of our modern taxes. Defined in strict economic terms, inflation has exactly the same impact as counterfeiting. The only difference between actual counterfeiting and government-encouraged inflation is that inflation is legal, while counterfeiting is not, and inflation is created by the federal government rather than by individual citizens. Whether a dollar is inflationary or counterfeit, it is still a purchase order, and it is used by government to acquire capital from the producing citizens of this country, with government giving neither goods nor services in return. Such a course discourages production, investments, and savings, and without those, the economy will one day run out of working capital and tools. For a period of at least 37 years, the elected and appointed political authority of this nation has pursued a policy of continued inflation. Such a policy requires new and larger doses of inflated credit, inflated currency, and produces inflated prices year after year. It makes no difference what you spend your money for, poverty or peanuts, the moon or moonshine, ships or corsages. If it is public money, and if it is spent wastefully, it fans the flames of inflation. We hear so very much from people like John Kenneth Galbraith, Senators McGovern, Kennedy, and By about diverting war expenditures to welfare state schemes when we get out of Vietnam. Such arguments go very wide of the mark. Socialized medicine currently on the minds of Congress, urban renewal, agricultural subsidies, and grants to colleges and universities have exactly the same impact as does the war in Vietnam in siphoning off services and goods from our productive pipelines without putting back anything useful or of material worth. These programs develop no private investments, buy no corporate tools, provide no savings, and tragically, they produce nothing of tangible value. 
Like war, economically, these things waste mountains of our already scarce resources. In the Germany of 1923, 100 million marks would not even buy so much as a loaf of bread. China, Japan, and some Latin American nations have suffered the agonies of wild inflation and have stood helplessly by while their total system of government economics and public finance literally collapsed around their ears. History is dotted with national tragedies of uncontrolled spending by central authority and government that led to economic collapse only to be followed by some form of cruel dictatorship. Obviously, the first step as an alternative to eventual chaos is to reduce and bring under control government spending that has to include federal, state, county, and local governments. But we have to go far beyond the mere act of reducing government's waste. To suddenly halt government participation in the private sector of our nation would bring horrifying results. We are surrounded by so many thousands of boondoggles and non-productive ventures, and we are so burdened with government bureaucracy itself that any sudden drop, even in inflated dollars, would bring tragedy beyond compare. Jobs would be swept away. Unemployment would soar. Job opportunities do not develop overnight. That leaves us with the only certain alternative, and that was recently spelled out by Leonard Reed, president of the Foundation for Economic Education. Mr. Reed referred to our synthetic curtain. Then he raised the question, precisely what is this synthetic curtain? He goes on to answer, it hangs as a barrier between the desire to produce, to exchange, to work, and the opportunities to do so. This curtain is not of natural origin. It is synthetic, artificial, not real or genuine. It is man-made of a thousand and one political economic concoctions and aberrations found on the statute books, wage, price, rent, interest, and production controls. That is everything that inhibits, prohibits, or restrains the peaceful exchange of goods and services. We are burdened with artificial elements like minimum wage laws, minimum hours requirements, a bureaucracy so strangled in red tape that none but the lucky can ever satisfy fully a government form or inquiry. The captain of a modern 747 aircraft is paid $57,000 a year, and the rest of the crew is paid on a declining but still very handsome basis. At the bottom of the economic ladder, government says that we have to pay a man at least $1.60 an hour, no matter the kind of work he might do. If today's $1.60 had the buying power it had in 1939, the minimum wage would be at the level of a comfortable living. At the same time, if the 747 captain were being paid at the 1939 level, his salary would still be a handsome figure, but only some $18,000 or one-third of his present gross. Now, what's the point? The point is that our currency has been watered down by the artificial but inflationary policies of a paternal central government. We have around us a synthetic curtain where there is no longer any real relationship between the amount of production of the worker and the inflated dollars the worker takes home. In a truly free and competitive society, a worker seeks out a job for whatever wage the hiring party is willing to offer. It is a matter of bartering between two people. I may feel the man who controls the job I want is offering less money than I am worth, but he may feel he is offering me more than he should pay. But if the two of us, and nobody else, come to terms, we are both legally and morally committed to that verbal contract. 
Let's discard the already discredited theories of the deficit spenders, those who are paranoid about depressions, and those who believe that printing presses can cure poverty, and trust our future to an open, competitive market in which we can be sure that goods and services have a value directly related to a fair cost of their production. Please join us next week for another story from our community's past.